You know, if there's, uh, if there's anything that the internet has taught me over the last couple years is that people have a lot of opinions, especially when it comes to doing laundry. Like, you ever notice that? Like, like, there's a lot of opinions out there, but when it comes to doing laundry, there's like, like, people are ready to like go to war in the comment section over how you properly do laundry or perhaps load the dishwasher. Everyone, anyone ever been in one? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand if that's been you. So we're going to settle the score quickly this morning. We're going to just kind of see where you fall on some of these things. All right, you guys ready? So audience participation, go ahead, warm your arms up a little bit. Just a quick show of hands as we go through those. Okay, here we go. First one. How many of you guys believe It is absolutely vital. Like, how dare you try and do laundry without first separating your light clothes from your dark clothes? How many of you guys, show of hands, you've got to keep them separated? Okay? Couple, okay. Uh, How many of you, when it comes to doing laundry, it's like, it's not a true load of laundry unless... You know, I've gotten the, the, the fabric softener put in to make my clothes feeling soft and cushy and smell. How many fabric softener users out there? Okay, good, good. All right. Um, how many of you, this one's kind of contentious uh, in my house especially, is how many of you believe that jeans don't actually have to ever be washed? Right? Like, like they're just like the magical, you do the sniff test, and, and even if they smell, it's, ah, it's jeans, whatever, we're just going to go along with it. You know? Laundry in the Friedman household, uh, it was kind of like, it was, I mean, honestly, it was like the first marital dispute my wife and I had, and longer story, I was completely embarrassed, different time, different place, and whatnot. But um, like, like, we kind of have this, this habit of letting laundry just kind of build up. Like, we're not talking one or two baskets at a time, like three four, five baskets and stuff. And it's just like, and then we do this other weird thing where, where we do the laundry and, and then we put it into the baskets and then we take it into our bedrooms and then it just stays there. Like for like weeks at a time, you go through all this work, you do the laundry and then you don't even bother to put it away. And then you're like, you pull out this shirt. Why is it all wrinkled? Did I wash these? I'm not really sure. It smells okay. Let's go, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. And see, this series that we're kicking off today, Handle With Care, is kind of talking about laundry. Now, we've all got laundry in life. We've got laundry, we've got baggage, we've got stuff. We've got stresses, we've got fears, we've got anxieties, we've got worries. So what do we do with them? How do we properly handle them with care? Because some of us, sometimes, we need to just know that there's laundry that needs to be done in our life. Other of us, we need to stop just doing a a sniff check on it and actually do the work to get it taken care of. And some of us, well, frankly, after we've done the work, perhaps we should put it away after it's done, right? And so what we want to do over the course of this series is spend a little bit of time normalizing the stuff that we all have. The laundry, the baggage, the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the worry. Because here's what I know, is that we've all got it. We've all got laundry in life. We want, to, we want to normalize it, but we don't want to romanticize it. Because sometimes we, we, the church has not done a good job talking about it, but now another time society makes it, well, that's all that life is. So here's the thing. Is, is if we talk about the laundry and the baggage of life, and, but we don't talk about Jesus, and we, don't, and we don't talk about his love and his joy and his peace and his word and his promise for all, then we've failed. We've missed the point. But in a similar sense, if we talk about it and all we say is, well, yep, just, just have faith, and we flippantly ignore the, the doctors, the professionals, the, the counselors, and what they have to say scientifically about it, then we've also failed. Okay? Here's, here's what I need you to know. 
If this is your first week checking us out and you never come back, if you're going to zone out in the next 30 seconds, just hear this, okay? Hear this. Don't miss this. That no matter your laundry, no matter your baggage, okay, you are not alone. You're not alone. You belong here with us. You're not defined by it. Yes, you've got it. We've all got it. We all care, but you are not alone. But the fact that you have stress, anxiety, worry, it's not because you have a lack of faith or you're just not strong enough, but rather it's just a part of life. That it's okay to not be okay. That you need to know that it's not always going to be this way, and at the same time, too, you don't have to go at it alone. And hear me, if you, if you don't get anything out of this, this series, outside of this, that it is okay, especially as Christians, to go see a counselor. To go, go, to go to therapy, to talk to someone who, who's wiser and more mature as we seek to, mess it, uh, to, to deal with the mess and the baggage and laundry in life. And so today we're going we're gonna to start this series, Handle with Care, by talking about this myth that I think has, has plagued the church at times. That if, if you struggle with blank, and that blank is for you to fill in. Because as soon as I started talking about laundry and baggage, something started to go through your mind, didn't it? Right? So if you struggle with blank, then it's because you don't have enough faith. The church has done a really, really bad job at times of saying, well, if you have stress, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you have anxiety, it's because you haven't spent enough time with God. And the truth of the matter is, is that's a lie. That that's false. That, that we all have laundry, we all have baggage, and it's not always just a result of, whoop, you didn't have enough faith. And so we're going we're gonna to debunk that today, and it begs the question, so where does that come from? Where does the laundry, the baggage of life come from? See, in preparing for this series, I I, I talked about a dozen uh, mental health professionals, counselors, uh, clinical psychologists, people who who made a career out of helping people through some of this stuff. And they all kind of gave me a a resounding answer when it came to this idea of where does some of this stuff come from? They all said kind of the same thing. It's, It's feeling hopeless and feeling helpless at times. And that the world we live in has heightened this awareness through social media and the internet and the news that we can't seem to turn off. It has raised awareness of the hopelessness. We look at the world around us. Oh, it's just getting worse. It's all crumbling. And I can't do anything about it. And then there's the helpless part of it too, in which we look at our own life and we look on social media. They have it all together, but what's wrong with me? One of the counselors in particular uh, who deals predominantly with college students and down, they said this, of the negative effects of social media. This is what happens to social media is that we compare, get this, this is so good. We compare their highlight reel to our behind the scenes. Not to mention the algorithms of self-loathing built into the platforms, meaning they intentionally show you the negative bad stuff because that's what gets you to stick and stay on, scroll. Oh man, look how bad the world is, right? The algorithms of, of self-loathing built in the platforms combined with the false hope to turn the corner while you're in a never-ending tunnel. You feel that? You get that? That hit me at home. One of the other uh, one of the professionals I talked with said it this way. They said, when I talk to people about stress, anxiety, fear, or worry, I always remind them that it's not bad. However, it becomes maladaptive, meaning it becomes bad, it becomes negative if it starts to interfere with our ability to function in life. And so if you walked in this morning 
And it's been one of those weeks. If you took a seat and you just said, man, I've just, I've just been dealing with a lot. Stress, fear, anxiety, worry, hopelessness, helplessness. No, you are not alone. And, and, and there's a sense in which that is not necessarily a bad thing, that it is truly a part of life. And the point of this series is to help us all understand how do we move forward and handle this stuff with care. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Over the next three weeks, we're going to spend time in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to take it from like three different approaches as we begin to unpack this idea of, of baggage and laundry that we're dealing with in life. Now, now some of you might say, well, why aren't, why aren't we talking about, like, why aren't we going to the Psalms or Ecclesiastes or, or some of those fluffy passages? Like, is it Romans kind of thick and dense? Here, here's what I need you to think about. Every time we turn to the book of Romans, remember who wrote it. It's this man by the name of Paul. Let me explain some things about Paul. Paul, at one point in his life, was a religious zealot Pharisee, meaning he loved the rules, the religion of faith, so much so that he made it his life's goal at one point to eradicate, to kill anyone who believed that by grace we are restored with God. And then he had a supernatural, transformative moment in which the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of his life, made him a new person. Do you think at times he wrestles with whether or not he was the right person for the job? You think, do you think he has moments in which his past tries to creep into his mind and say, are you really sure that God wants you to be the person to deliver this message? We think about people who, who, who well, what does it mean to have, have struggle and worry about where my next meal's going to come from? Well, well, Paul, he would plant churches and he would go from city to city. And in some ways he would support himself and he would deliver this sometimes harsh, this, this exhortation. You guys, you're Christian, you're churches, you gotta pick this up. You gotta fix some of these pieces. And then he would say, oh yeah, by the way, I need some money. <laughs> I need to go to the next place. There's some people back home that we need to take care of. There's a man who was shipwrecked multiple times in his life. He was beaten within an inch of his life on three separate occasions. He was under house arrest. He was imprisoned because of his faith. If, if there's someone who understands the anxiety of, I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what's next for me in life. It's the Apostle Paul. And he made it the foundation of who he was, everything that he was, his identity in Jesus. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. He says this, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, just as if I never sinned. Your translation might say, just as if I have been made right with God through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit who has been given to us. See, Paul here in, in, in Romans 5, he kind of takes uh, this passage. I want to kind of just really quickly explain how this passage breaks out. In verses 1 and 2, he talks about our eternal status. That because of the work of Christ, because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, that we are given a new inheritance. That we have been justified, we have made right, we have been freed from the bondage of our sin and our brokenness. And then he begins to say, that's verses one and two. And he says, so then, that leads, that equates to, so our eternal status equates to earthly significance. 
That because we have this foundation of life and eternity, it gives us strength, it gives us power, it gives us motivation to remain steadfast in what we do in this life. You see, when I was in high school ministry, I used to kind of talk about what sometimes I refer to as the and-then principle. And the and-then principle is like, like if someone comes to me and says, oh, you know, my boyfriend, girlfriend, they broke up with me in my life. Oh, my life. And I'm like, okay, cool, so... And then what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to probably have to go to prom alone. Okay? And then what? Well, I guess I could find someone else to go. Okay, and then what? Well, and then I'm going to graduate. Okay, and then what? And then I'm going to go to college. Okay, and then what? And then I'm going to probably find someone else and find new friends. Okay, and then what? And then, and then, and then. And what that would do is kind of help people understand that we, are, we live in the moment and sometimes we fail to see the larger perspective of life. And what Paul is doing as Christians, we have the ability not just to focus on this life, but to focus on the eternity that is to come. And when we know there is a joy and a hope and a peace that awaits us in the confidence of Christ, it should give us the strength to endure in this one. And what I'm not trying to say is, we're, you know, we're, as Christians, we're not you know, trying, to, trying to be like, a, like well, let's put our head in the sand and be, la, 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 life is amazing, it doesn't have any problems, because I'm a, everything is awesome, it's Legos, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, 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 we're not supposed to be those types of people. That we are real people, and we, with real problems, that stuff is, is around us, but what Paul is saying is this, he's saying, but God, he is utterly reliable, in his love for you. He never fails. He never stops pursuing you. He is utterly reliable in his love. So let's start here this morning. And we're talking about this stuff. Number one, when it comes to baggage, when it comes to laundry, let's just be honest. We all have baggage. We all have baggage. You know, in verse 1, that, that term justified, made right, it also has the connotation, obviously, that something was wrong, something was off. If something has to be made right, it means something is not the way it ought to be. Justified means that, 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 that God's purpose, his intention for you and I was to live in shalom, peace, harmony, unity, unity love with him, but it was broken by sin. One of the professionals I talked to, they, they put it this way, they say, when I think about I'm going to call it the baggage of life, the laundry of life. It reminds me that something is off. When the stress weighs in, when the worry begins to creep in and take over our mind, it should be first and foremost a trigger that says to us, something is off. Something's broken. Something isn't the way that it ought to be. Now, let me be clear that there is a difference between sin and the stuff we carry around. The sin that we have in our life, our bad choices, the way in which we are disobedient, we have broken God's will, we are born into it, and we make poor choices. That's what separates us from God. The stuff we carry with us, the laundry, the baggage, is oftentimes a result of that sin. And sometimes that baggage results in sin because we idolize it, we focus on it, it distracts us from God. But ultimately, ultimately, sin is the problem. And it leads to this baggage that we carry around in life. And regardless of what you're carrying today, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you brought in and you feel like it's just crushing you, know that, that Jesus died knowing exactly what you would go through. He died knowing and lovingly what you were going to carry around in life. 
And so the baggage, the laundry, it should be a warning sign. Meh, 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 meh. Something is off. Something is broken. Something isn't the way that it ought to be. Spoiler alert. You're broken. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, okay, well, thanks. Spoiler alert. I'm broken too. We all are. Have you ever noticed, um, like, the things you don't have to teach kids growing up? Like, anyone, like, tell their kids how to disobey them? Right? Like, all right, hey, it's time for bed. Now! Hey, do you mind if you eat, like, a couple of those peas? I know you're just, like, smashing the chicken nugs, but, like, can you get a few of those peas in? No. You, you know what you also don't have to teach them? You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Hey, can you, can you share with your friend or your sister? No, mine. And then they begin to combine it. No, mine, no, mine, 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 no, 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 right? You know, we don't have to teach kids how to be broken because we ourselves are broken. We're broken humans. We're broken parents. We have broken relationships. We have broken children. We live in a broken world. We work for broken bosses that we are all broken. And I think we would all do us ourselves and the world around us a favor as if we would just stop pretending that we weren't. You see, see, Satan's tactic, we're at a battle not just of flesh and blood, but of the spirit and of the mind. His tactic is to do one of two things. He either wants to distract you, or he wants to demean you. He wants to distract you away from God's love and his purpose and his care for your life by saying, yeah, but what about this? Don't you feel a little helpless because you can't fix? Don't you feel a little hopeless because you don't know what's going on? And he tries to distract you and to get you to focus on, to turn your attention away from God so you can try, I don't know what's going to come next. Ah, we've been to freak out. Or he tries to demean us. Well, man, you just can't get that habit. You've had that stress for so long, man. You haven't learned. Shame on you. You've got that anxiety and you've tried all the things and you still struggle with it. Man, you think God actually loves you? I mean, you get why he loves that person because they've got it all together, but you over here, and Satan's trying to either distract you or demean you. And what Paul has said, despite everything, despite it all, Christ died for us. Why do we, why do we pretend like we're not broken? I think this is the, one of the things that, that I struggle with on social media is we, we begin to to. Th- Project that we are perfect, or we idolize those who are. Their highlight reel, my behind the scenes. I think in some sense it's like sadistic in us. Well, at least someone has figured it out. The truth is, and you and I both know this, is that they're not any better off. They're not any further along or have it more together than you or I. Insert that person. Deep down, we all have baggage. We all have baggage. So say it with me. I have baggage. I have laundry. I have problems. And your spouse is like, thankfully, you admitted it. I am not perfect. Now say this, and that's okay. And here's why. It's because Jesus is everything that we are not. And that is where that hope and that joy and that peace comes from. Romans 5, 5. Why? Because out of God's love for you, you have been justified, you have been brought in. So here's the second part. 
We all are broken. Here's what we need to be reminded. That you are not your baggage. You are not defined by your baggage. Because if you were, if you were just, well, you're a person of stress, you are a person of anxiety, you are a person of worry, or even worse, you are a person of sin, guess where you don't get to be? You don't get to be in the house of God for forever. You see, only those who are holy and perfect, only those who don the identity of Jesus get brought in to the house of God. We are brought into a place of undeserving privilege. Translation, we are not deserving, but Jesus took his place, and then we perform some identity theft, and then we get in. We steal his ID, and we say, yeah, I belong in the club. Yep, I'm Jesus. Because that's the way that it works. That if you were your baggage, if I was my baggage, I would not get to be in. It's inheritance language. It's, it's, it's that someone else did the forethought and the forework to make a way for you to benefit. It's been interesting, over the past year, there's been like this resurgence in sports cards. Right? And so like, you know, you, you, your, your, your dad or your grandfather or your uncle, whatever, or, or, or your grandmother, right? You are, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, okay, right? And uh, you, they had sports cards and they passed it to you and you took them from your house to your dorm room to your apartment and then you took them to your home and it's like, dude, why do you have those? Those aren't worth anything. And then you always said the phrase, but someday they will be, right? And recently, over the past year, the sports card market has just surged, just skyrocketed. Cards that were worth four or five bucks are now worth hundreds of dollars. So if you're waiting for that day, today's the day. The Beanie Baby collections, on the other hand, you can go ahead and burn those. Those aren't worth anything. (laughs) See, it's the same thing, that we have been given an inheritance. Because someone thought ahead, because someone did the work and gifted it to us, we now get to benefit of something greater. And that's what Paul is saying. Is that you have baggage, you are broken, but because someone is not and they traded places with you, you get to be in. See, because of the forethought and the forework of Christ, we are given an identity that greatly surpasses this life. That before Jesus, you and I, we are deeply loved by God, but we are also condemned by our sin. But after, by faith, through grace, we are still Deeply loved, but we are now redeemed. And so if you are a Christian or not, disciple or not, we all know this to be true, is that the baggage is real. But especially for the disciple, for the Christian, we get to claim, I am not my baggage. I am not my past. I am not my sin. I am not the way in which, which the world says about it. Like, isn't that amazing? That we get to, to, to stand firm and say, I don't have to be defined by the world. That I don't have to be what the world thinks I am. I don't have to be what the world says I am. I don't have to be what I did. I don't have to be what someone did to me. I get to be exactly who Christ said I am. And what he says I am is that I am loved. I am valued. I am redeemed. I am cared for. I am precious. Because I am his and he is mine. Now, the hard part about that, though, we can stand firm in that identity, but it doesn't necessarily mean life is going to be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. It's not like I'm a Christian, poof, it all goes away, all my problems, life is simple, it's comfortable, I never have any of that. My anxiety out the window, my stress is just gone. All of a sudden, money just shows up in my bank account because I'm a Christian. I don't know what happened, that's pretty cool, right? It's like a, a perpetual stimulus from God. I don't, you know, it's like it's one of those, I don't really know. But we get the promise 
are going to be the greatest promise. And I think this, if I'm being honest, I, I don't know, but I think this is where Paul found his strength to endure it all. The shipwrecks, being whipped, being abandoned, having no money. It was this, is that God's promise, the triune promise, I am with you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You see, a lot of us, we need to break out of the shame cycle in life. We need to break free from it. See, this is kind of something that I picked up talking to, to one of my professors from college. And he said this, he says, that, that, that we all have sin and we always respond with guilt. We respond to the brokenness of life with guilt. Whether it's something we did or someone did to us, there's always guilt. And there's two answers to guilt. There's shame and there's conviction. The shame cycle says, look at this problem. You need to feel really, really bad about it. Oh, you tried to fix it, but it's getting worse. Oh, look, here it comes again. Oh, you didn't really feel as bad about it for this time, so that creates some more shame and begins to spiral down and down and down. Before you know, you are so deep, you are so under bondage, you are so defeated because of that shame that resides in your life. What he says, we need to not have a shame cycle, but we need to have a conviction trait, kind of like a stock market ticker, up and to the right. Every time you go through life, see, being a Christian doesn't mean like, poof, like, boom, I'm perfect, I'm at the top, nothing happens. You go through life, and then it increases the guilt, the sin, because something happened, and you begin to, to go down. And it's in that moment, if we are convicted, we can trade that guilt for the grace of Jesus. And we've been, I am not that person. I'm not defined by that. I'm a different person. I'm in love. And that but it happened again. But I get to trade that guilt with the love and the grace of Christ. And, and, and every single time we face that guilt in life, if we stop and pause and remember who we are in the name of Jesus, we get to trade with conviction the grace of God. See, our baggage in life is not a shame to be felt but it's a burden to be bore, but to be bore with God. Here's the truth. Here's the promise of God. God says that the promise of God, the promises of God outweigh the pressures of life. I want to take a moment. I just want you to let that sit in for a moment. The promises of God that you are loved, you're cherished, he is with you, they drastically outweigh the pressures, the baggage, the laundry of life. Dearly beloved, sit in this truth. You were bought at a price. You were paid for above all else. In my first uh, student ministry, I had a volunteer who told me the story in which one day he went to a Goodwill because who doesn't like shopping at Goodwill and finding dope deals? Um, and he's going through the t-shirts and he finds like his favorite t-shirt. Right? And he's like, oh my gosh, this is my size. This is my favorite t-shirt. It's like even broken in a little bit and it's soft. It's from like 10 years ago. They probably didn't even make it. And so he rips it off the hanger and sprints to the counter and says, hey, I'd like to buy this t-shirt. They're like, it's $2. He's like, boom, here's a fiver because this is my favorite shirt. He puts it in the bag and goes home and, and he walks into the house. True story. And, uh, and his wife says, how was your day? Oh, it was a good day, buddy. I found my favorite t-shirt at Goodwill. Can you believe it? And she's like, yeah. And he opens it up and holds it up, smiling ear to ear. And she's like, what are you doing having that? I gave it to Goodwill last week. 
You see, it's the same way. The, the God says, you've been bought with a price. I am so excited to bring you home. You are mine. Out of this relationship, this desire, this care to show you off. So that stress, that worry, that anxiety, yes, it reminds us that something is off, but at the same time, it should remind us of something greater. That the sovereign creator of the universe who put breath into your lungs, who gave you life, cares for you even more. That when you feel that the pressure is just mounting and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know where to go. You also get to say, but there is a God who does. He has gifted me people. He has gifted me professionals. He has gifted me a church. And most importantly, he has gifted me himself to be with me through it all. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Verse 22. This is from the message translation because it reads a little bit different, but I just love this. Let me show you this verse here. He says this. He says, are you tired? Everyone's like, yeah. Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the un." forced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Some of us know this passage is the one, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Matthew chapter 6 talks about don't the, 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 the sparrows in the air and the lilies on the field, don't they not worry about what tomorrow's going to bring? Hebrews chapter 4 talks about we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our life. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to remove it all. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to get rid of it all. Rather, he gives the promise, but I will be with you. I will be with you through it all. And this is the moment in which I think we play the yeah, but game. This is how the yeah, but game works. And we say, yeah, 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 Erica, get all that. Yeah, yeah, but Jesus doesn't know the stress of my life. He doesn't have to work at the company that I work. He doesn't have the boss that I have. If he only knew that, well, then, then he would know differently. So yeah, but Jesus, on, on the night before his death, he's in the garden. He is so stressed at the commands of the Father that you were going to die for the sin that he is literally sweating blood. He knows what it's like to be stressed. Yeah, yeah, but, 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 but Eric, you know, he just didn't have a mortgage. He didn't have rent to pay. He didn't have some hospital bills he needed to catch up on. But he did say, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yeah, 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 but Eric, he doesn't have to deal with the, the pressures of trying to fit in, of trying to have it all together to appear. Jesus looked at his disciples. He said, if you go into a town and they reject you, dust off your sandals and go on to the next. Jesus, what led to his death is that his very own people traded him for, for a thug, for Barabbas, to say, no, no, give us the criminal, kill the son of man. You see, here's what, what I need us to understand for, for this morning. As we move to our time of response, here's what, where I need you to rest with. is that Jesus, he gets it. He gets it. 
Like this isn't some like pithy rah, rah, rah sentiment. Yeah, yeah, Jesus gets it. He's just greater there. Like, oh, no, no. He like literally, not, not figuratively, he tangibly, pastorally, literally gets it. He gets it. So that when we go to him and we say, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. The stress, the worry, the anxiety. I don't know what to do with this. He simply says, don't worry, I get it. I've been there. I know. It doesn't change my opinion of you. When the stresses of life seem too much to bear, Jesus says, I'm here to bear it with you. When the anxiety begins to creep in yet again, Jesus says, but no, that's not who you are. When the worry begins to to snake its way into our mind, do not the lilies and the birds get taken care of. I get it. So practically for us, I think in some ways, we need to lean on God. In prayer and his word with one another and worship and know that when that warning sign, when we look at the baggage, when we look at the laundry of life, yes, We gotta carry it. It's ours to bear, but we don't have to do it alone. For some of us, we need to start by sorting our laundry because we can't fight a battle if we don't name our enemy. We need to sort our laundry and say, this is what I am dealing with. This fear, this insecurity, this worry, this angst, this doubt. Jesus doesn't reject us, rather he leads in. This is good. That's why I died, so I could be with you through all of it. Through all of it. We've been given one another. We've been given people who have great wisdom and the ability to help you navigate through some of this, but above all else, know that yes, you have baggage. No, you are not your baggage. The promises of God outweigh the pressures perhaps the greatest way for us to remember how Jesus is with us is by partaking in communion. So if you have your communion elements, I encourage you to get these out with me. There are many ways that we respond during our services. You can pull out that, the app, fill out the connect card, let us know how we can be praying for you. Perhaps during this, this series, you want us to connect you with a trusted counselor to help you talk through some of this. We respond generously through the Give app or through the Give and Respond boxes by giving financially back to God, back to his church. We also respond through communion. Whereas Jesus said, I am with you. Do this in remembrance of me. And last night with his disciples in the upper room, he held up the bread. He said, this is my body. Take and eat. blood shed for you. Take and drink. And he gave us these words. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship our Lord this morning?